The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Google's $5 billion slap from the EU is the least of its worries. Goldman Sachs has a new boss, and Elon Musk is eating his words. These are the topics we'll be discussing on this week's edition of The Views Room, a weekly conversation among Breaking Views columnists about the ups and downs of the world of finance. I'm Jennifer Saba, and with me, as always, is Anthony Curry. Hi, Anthony. G'day, Jen. All right, so Google can easily afford to pay the fine imposed by the European Commission since it represents about 5% of its short-term cash, but another part of the order is potentially much more damaging. And here to walk us through it is Breaking Views columnist Rob Searin. Rob, welcome back to the program. Hey, Jen. All right, so why don't you just start by telling everybody, just set this up, what happened today? So the EU is is probing Google in three different areas. There was a, a fine last year, which they got for unfairly favoring their own shopping services. And today was the big issue. That was, does Google use its power in smartphones, um, because about 80% of all smartphones run on Android, to promote other services? And the EU found that, yes, it does. And what it means is that the, e- the Google is basically taking um, dominance in one area and, and acting in abusively antitrust, uh, abusing the antitrust law by using that to edge into other areas. Isn't this what Microsoft did? Exactly. It's the the same thing thing as Microsoft tying two products together. So in Google's case, it was if you wanted, if a smartphone maker wanted to um, have access to Google, um, its app store, which, you know, phones aren't very useful, they don't have apps, they had to install Google Search as the default search um, engine on their phones. The other thing was the browser had to be Google's Chrome uh, browser. And that's two things. Uh, if people search um, via the Chrome browser, Google has higher margins, doesn't have to pass off some of the money to someone else. And it also means more and more people are using their search engine, which is good for Google. Okay, so this is the largest fine that the EU has imposed so Correct, far. Yeah. But it's still kind of, it's not a big deal for Google. Yeah, so, so but, but there is another part of this that could potentially be uh, a big problem for them down the road. Yeah, so in addition to the fine, Google agreed to, st- um, well, Google has to stop doing three things. It did things like it said, okay, you can't make a different version of Android, which would allow people to, you know, for instance, use a different search engine after um, after they make, after they have access to Android. The second thing they said, they Google had uh, couldn't pay uh, companies uh, to use Google search as their default search engine. They pay Apple a couple billion dollars a year for that. And the third thing was that Google couldn't say if you wanted um, access to the App Store, you had to install Chrome and you had to have Google search as your default search engine. And it had to be on the phone in the in the box. Correct. Yeah. So I mean, why don't you like Microsoft went through this before too, mm-hmm. and Microsoft is still around. And <laughs> but but so what? Just kind of. With that situation, what were some of the things that could happen with Google? Well, so so Microsoft, they were in trouble from 1998, and they finally wrapped up all the things um, over a decade later. This was the antitrust. It was the antitrust, because Microsoft was accused of using its dominance in Explorer, and and they tied all these products together, and the European Union said you couldn't do that. During the entire time and afterwards, Microsoft executives a, they spent a lot of time worrying about this and, you know, internal meetings and talking about it. And the second thing was they become a lot more gun-shy in moving into new markets. So when, when Microsoft um, tried to move into mobile phones, for instance, it was oddly kind of hesitant to use its, um, all its marketing heft and all the, the, you know, had all these ties to companies and 
all these people used Microsoft Word and, and Outlook and Explorer, but it didn't really port those over to the micro, to um, to smartphones, and they ended up being just basically non-entity in, in smartphones. So the worry is Google. It's the same thing could happen to Google, which happened to Microsoft. They they start second guessing themselves. They become a little more reluctant to use their heft in search or in Android to move into areas like artificial intelligence. And that could cause problems for the company over the long run. Yeah, because like, self uh, self driving cars is a big initiative at Google too, right? So yeah. that that could that could. But artificial intelligence is especially the big one because, yeah. um, you know, they use it all the time. For instance, when when you translate something in, in Google Translate from French to English or German to French, whatever, they use artificial intelligence and it's made it a lot better um, at at translating. And so, you know, they're they're using their basically the fact that everyone goes to them to collect all this data, then it makes the artificial intelligence more um, accurate. And so if, if the European Union basically puts limits on how they can use people's data or how they can take all the information they gather from people and use it to move into other markets, that could slow them, slow them their movement into other markets. Now, on, on Microsoft, though, how much of, of Microsoft's navel-gazing after this was, was the result of EU? And how much was the result, say, of having had several other products that just were terrible, like the, the Zune. I can't believe I remember the name. The Zune music uh, player, the rival to the, I, the iPod. Um, they had a lot of, I, of ideas that just went nowhere. Yeah, it, so it, that it, must it's, have played a role, role as well. It can be hard to second guess because tech companies often don't you know, have a limited shelf life. Um, you know, there's often the hot technology company of yeah. one year and 10 years later, no, nowhere to be seen. But if you talk to Microsoft executives, they all do admit that, you know, in the time from 1998 to about a decade later, they were just they spent a lot, a lot of time worrying about Europe, and they did it did make them second guess and look over their shoulders before they did anything. So maybe that even without us without guessing, it may have played a role in Zoom being not as good as it could have been. <laughs> maybe. Well, Microsoft's had a bad record with consumer yeah. tech, but it, you, the worst you can, uh, in, the least you can say is that it aggravated the situation. And it didn't. It wasn't helpful. Yeah, and plus they were fighting uh, the DOJ in the in the United States. They were, as yeah, well. they were fighting I mean, in multiple were, jurisdictions. It wasn't just Europe. So, what you, and, and you know, given that, do you think that this is going to spill over to the U.S.? And I know that we've had similar conversations about this, but what do you think are the chances? I think it will in some form. I doubt the U.S. will be as aggressive um, as the Euro Europe is. Um, that probably depends on the next administration, if there is a next, you know, when, <laughs> when the next administration sits. I think it's more likely it'll happen in other jurisdictions as well. Like you'll see it happen in, you know, China, South Korea, Japan. Um, other places in the world are, are, are going to take a look at Google as well. All right. Thanks, Rob. I know you'll be keeping an eye on this in the future. Goldman Sachs is in the news this week because of a new boss. Tesla's in the news this week because of its boss. The situations are different, of course, but there is a small thread that kind of runs through both these stories. Anthony, you're here to take us through it. Yep, it's all about corporate governance. Look, what Goldman's had, don't forget, Goldman only went public in 1999. So this is only the third time, well, second time, I suppose, they've changed the CEO as a public company. Um, so, you know, the Lloyd Blankfein's been there for 12 years. Before that was Hank Paulson, who was there for the IPO. So both of them, and now David Solomon, are going to have both the chairman's role and the chief executive's role. And admittedly, this is one of our bugbears at Breaking Views. We think the two roles should be separate. Uh, and America, in general, is moving that way. More and more Fortune 500 companies are splitting the role. But in finance, especially, and in some other areas, um, they're often combined. They own, and, and boards only ever split them normally when there's a problem 
uh, with the firm or with the individual. So. Mm-hmm. Well, in this instance, uh, Goldman Sachs has an, a lead independent director. Is that correct? Yes, and, and most and most companies that have that, that have both a chairman and a CEO as the same role will have a lead independent director, and that takes away some of the issues, right? So, if you think what you need, you need to have um, someone on the board who is responsible for corralling the board, uh, for uh, representing shareholders' interests more, and also for overseeing management, because the role of the board and the chairman of the board is to make sure that they not only deal with external. Uh, people like investors, regulators, if they need to, well, that's also done internally, but also that they deal with and monitor and give grades to and pay and set the pay for all the executives. Right? So if you have the chairman of the board also being the CEO, you've got an Im- inherent conflict of interests. So if you have a lead independent director, you're getting rid of some of that. But it still leaves the chairman uh, as the head of the board, even if he or she devolves some power to the independent lead director. So why not actually just say, you know what? We don't need the chairman. We'll just uh, being the CEO. We'll just have the CEO here, who's a manager, and the exec- and the chairman over here, who's independent and comes from outside the firm and has nothing to do with the firm right. apart from being on the board. So, um, so they had an opportunity to split this apart. I mean, yeah. what, what were the chances of that actually? Pretty slim. That this has been on the docket at their annual meetings. Every now and again, a shareholder resolution will come up. It, I don't think it was on this year. Saying that next time you change this, why don't you introduce, introduce a, 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 an independent chairman? And they've always said, look, um, we don't have a policy that it has to be an independent chairman or it has to be the CEO who's the chairman. We just think we'll, we'll go according to what we think the, the, the best practice is at the time or, or what best suits Goldman Sachs as it is. And that's what a lot of them say. In fact, if you even look back into some crises at some firms, JP Morgan's a great example where Jamie Dimon overall has done a pretty good job, but of course was getting knocked a lot after the London whale crisis in I think 2012 where the bank lost $6 billion on these trades. Um, and even then at the next AGM where there was a, a movement to, to unseat him as as chairman, it only got 40% of the vote. So shareholders are often quite reluctant anyway to go along with this. Although that that, that does change. But again, putting it in, in there as purely a crisis issue is part of the problem. It should be good corporate governance may basically separate the two roles because they are two separate jobs and to have them combined is an inherent conflict of interest. Um, one of the good things or one of the attributes that I think makes for a good board are uh, directors that come from different perspectives and are willing to challenge each other and not have so much groupthink. Because mm. just like studying companies, you kind of get this this feeling that most directors, they're, they're afraid to put their hand up in the air and say, listen, this doesn't, this is fishy. This doesn't seem right. You shouldn't be getting this crazy outsized pay package mm. or, or whatever it may be. Um, so this is a situation where um, Elon Musk, let's, let's talk a little bit about that because he also has less so than Goldman Sachs, but an entrenched board, right? Actually, more so than Goldman Sachs, well, I would say. Yes, far more so. Far more so. He's also holds... What, a big chunk of the company. He owns about 20% of the okay. company. He's chairman, he's CEO, and he's, I forget, the, the lead product innovator or something and like that. And he's packed the board with his brother, with uh, some other of his pals yeah. that are running other sets of his businesses. So um, then he goes out, what was it, last week? It was on Sunday, yeah. Sunday. He goes out on Sunday and he said this crazy thing on Twitter about the uh, divers uh, that were rescuing those kids caught in a cave in Thailand, yeah. right? Um, why he, he felt compelled to do this yeah, so, is, I mean, look, is I'll, ridiculous. I'll say the words out loud. He, he basically went on and, and uh, he got into a spat with uh, Vern Unsworth, who was one of the main divers. I think the guy who actually found where 
um, the um, boys were in the and their coach were in the cave. Um, Musk comes along with his this um, mini submarine. It was nowhere near suited to, to what we needed. And uh, you know what? Um, it's a PR stunt, and he can stick his submarine where the sun don't shine. Ho ho ho! Um, now he can say that he's just an independent guy doing his thing, and feels that along comes his technological wizard and thinks he's got a great answer, which in the end didn't work. Musk didn't try this from the start. He only got involved in this after someone on Twitter said, can't you come along and help, I think on July the 4th. So it's not as if tr- Musk was pushing this from the start. Right? So I just want to make clear that we're not saying that Musk shouldn't have been involved. I mean, he wants to get involved in everything, it seems. He wants to have a solution for everything. Uh, but, and there's nothing wrong with that. Why not help? But it didn't work out. This guy maligns him a little bit. You know, that's, it's not very nice. But if you are the CEO of a, of, a, of a well-known company and one which isn't making money and one where everyone has got a lot of eyes on what you're doing, and even if not, he not the took case. it too far. He took it too and, far, and he's, and he, been, yeah. he's been doing this um, consistently for the well, last I mean, couple not, of months. He's not been as bad as this. I mean, he called the guy. He said, um, uh, "You've got it. You got this coming. We're going to make sure. We're going to prove to you. We could have done this. You have this coming, pedo guy." Basically, called the guy a pedophile on Twitter. Huge libel case may be coming. Who knows? And then he doubled down on his next tweet and then deleted them. Now. If you're, the, if you're the board, you look at this and you think, okay, we've got, we, we basically know we're beholden to this guy. We know the shareholders are in this company because of Elon Musk. Yes, a lot of them like the idea of electric cars as well. But it's because of Elon Musk. Take Elon Musk out of the equation, this company probably wouldn't exist or would have been bought or would be who knows where. Um, so it's a big risk to get rid of him, um, which you know, when you get a tweet like this, if you think about all the other things that people have, uh, CEOs have said over the years, whether it's about racism, whether it's about women, you know, you've got to be very careful, especially these days, and rightly so, otherwise you may lose your job as a CEO. What, what has happened, because I have not been following this very closely, did the board do anything and, and what has no. happened? Well, so as far as we know, the board has done nothing. It's all come from Musk. Someone yesterday tweeted to him, look, what you're doing at Tesla is great. It's just a guy on Twitter. But can you please rein in your, your, your tweets because they're just getting in the way. And he said, good idea. And then soon afterwards put his pseudo apology out there. There's been nothing from the board. I mean, when I contacted Tesla to say, what does the board do with a CEO who calls someone a pedo guy on Twitter? The response I got was, here's an article about how we think how uh, a critic now thinks we're going to get more than 30% gross margins <laughs> on our cars. So the, you know, the company's not really focused on this. Yes. It should be. And that's the biggest problem they've got there. And it may not be a problem now. I mean, the stock went down 3% on Monday, which is nothing for Twitter. Uh, sorry, for, for Tesla. It's, it's, it's actually pretty minor for Tesla. It, it can go all over the place. But you just think, this, this shows that we've got a guy running this company who he's already had Ranked analysts. Uh, he's looked a little bit um, uh, as, as if he's, he thinks the world is against him, and sometimes it must feel Harangues that way. Harangues journalists that don't like his. Does Harangue journalists then again? Look, if you, if, if you, I mean, he's got no evidence, produced no evidence. He just got annoyed and came up with uh, with a way of having a go at the guy. And if you're the board, you've got to make sure that the investors know that this is something you won't tolerate, and that is to focus his mind on running the company. So. Let's make sure you beat those targets you keep setting but so often miss. Let's make sure you don't um, annoy people so much in the analyst investor community that maybe you won't be able to raise money in the future um, if you keep having a go at them. You know, all these things which, you know, okay, he, he's, he's a guy who is really somebody who likes producing companies and, 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 and coming up with new ideas. We can see that he's, he's all over the place with great new ideas that may or may not go somewhere. But if you're the CEO of a public company, you have a duty to your shareholders, and the board has a duty to the shareholders to make sure that the CEO isn't just going off the reservation. Checks and balances. Very much so, and at the moment, there are none of those. Okay, thanks, Anthony. We'll leave it at that. 
That's our show for this week. We'd like to thank our guest, Rob Searin, and also our producers, Andrew D'Antonio and Freddie Joyner. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Do check us out every day at breakingviews.com and subscribe to the Views Room on iTunes. Don't forget to tune in next week for another edition. 